does picking an outfit have you running a little too fashionably late? We get it. Great taste takes time. That's why Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery, has your back with the largest selection of beer, wine, and spirits, delivered in under 60 minutes. Convenience never goes out of style. So if you need to spend some extra time in the mirror instead of at the store, download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Hey, it's Mistress Carrie, reporting for duty from MCHQ for episode 49 of the Mistress Carrie podcast. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Digital Federal Credit Union, but they're better known to all of us here as DCU. Now, not only is DCU a great place to bank at, but they are also a great place to work at. And get this, they are hiring for full and part-time positions for several of their branch locations throughout Massachusetts and New Hampshire. So if you, a friend or a family member is looking for a career change or to start a career at a credit union, making a difference for their members and their employees, visit dcu.org slash careers. DCU is proud to be an equal employment opportunity and affirmative action employer. That's dcu.org slash careers. This episode of the podcast is also sponsored by mistresscarry.com, which is your one-stop shop for everything Mistress Carrie. All the links to my social media pages, the contact me section where you can slide into my DMs, the events calendar, my photo galleries, of course, every episode of the Mistress Carrie podcast, full-length episodes come out every Wednesday, but every Monday through Friday, you get the sit rep, which is all of your rock news and music headlines in less than five minutes. Plus, you get every episode of Cocktails in the War Room, which is my video show that I host live every Tuesday night at 8.30 live on my Facebook page. We're up to 131 episodes now. And finally, you can shop till you drop in the online Mistress Carrie store that's stocked with great stuff like t-shirts, hoodies, glasses, baby onesies, stuff to outfit your new home office, and so much more. Just hit me up at mistresscarry.com. I also want to send out some love to everybody that might just be discovering the Mistress Carrie podcast because of my new radio shows. And that includes everybody that may have just started tuning in to my new afternoon show from 3 to 7 at 100 FM, The Pike in Worcester, Massachusetts. You guys rock. Okay, this week, I found my sister from another mister, Diamante. She is an amazing rock singer. She was born in Boston. She's part Italian, and her hair... Well, let's just say her and I have a lot in common. If we stood next to each other, we'd look like Skittles. I've never met her in person, but I obviously know who she is. Everybody started saying her name a couple years ago when she collaborated with Bad Wolves, but she's been touring with everyone from Breaking Benjamin and Shinedown, and she's definitely a rising star in rock and roll. On Friday, May 7th, she released her sophomore album, called American Dream that she worked on throughout the pandemic in Los Angeles. And her and I hit it off from the jump. She's super cool, really passionate about what she does, really open and honest and charismatic. And I just absolutely loved her like everyone told me I would that has already met her. They said, you guys are going to hit it off like crazy. And we totally did. You can take a girl out of Boston but you can't take the Boston attitude out of the girl. Allow me to introduce you to Diamante. Hey, what's up? This is Sully from Godsmack. Strap on those boots, baby, because you are now in the trenches of the war room with the one and only Mistress Carrie right here on the Mistress Carrie podcast. What's up? This is Joe Rogan, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. I have so lovely pretty eyes. Hey, this is Brent from Shinedown, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hey, Carrie, go put your brow on, girl. Hey, this is Steven Tyler, and you'll be listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, 
Mistress Carrie. What's up? This is Aaron from Stain, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hi, everybody. This is Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters, and you're listening to the one, the only, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is David from the band Disturbed, and you're listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. Hi, Bruce Dickinson here from Iron Maiden. Yes, indeed. Miss Whiplash herself, Mrs. Carrie, is here to um, unchain your brain. Hi, this is Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. This is Dennis Leary. You are listening to my favorite, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is Corey from Stone Sour, and you're listening to, you have the privilege of listening to Mistress Carrie. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Okay, now we can say all the cool stuff, because we're recording now, Diamante. Awesome. Good to know. (laughs) It's so nice to meet you. Everyone that I know that knew that I was going to talk to you said I would absolutely love you. So it's nice to finally meet you. Oh, it's awesome meeting you. Thank you so much for having me. What I think is really funny, we don't know each other, but we have three things in common. We are both from Boston. Awesome. We both have amazingly colored hair. Yes. And we are both partially Italian. I love it. So basically, we're related. Yeah, pretty much. Those are the three factors you need to be related, for sure. (laughs) You moved out of Boston when you were a teenager, right? Yeah. Well, actually, I was almost, I was 12. So I was not happy about it. You can imagine. Yeah. And it's, I I wanted to ask you this because I thought it might be like an interesting science thing. Like I'm known for being quite bitchy over the years, all the time I've spent on the radio and behind a microphone. Some of it I attribute to the genetics. Some of it I attribute to the upbringing in Boston. You moved out at 12. Do you still feel a certain amount of that inner Bostonian attitude coming out in you, even though you left at such an early age? Yeah, absolutely. Especially with the way that I interact with people. Um, I'm very, I can be very direct and to the point. And I, I think that's not really a West Coast characteristic. That's definitely more East Coast. Um, I'm also very grounded. So I care a lot about family and values and, uh, and always keeping my head to the grindstone and never losing sight of what I'm doing. That's, I think, that's the biggest thing that I've kept with me. It's, it takes some people a second to understand, uh, especially women from the Northeast, because we are really aggressive and really upfront and we don't take anybody's shit. And a lot yeah. of times people go, oh my God, what is going on? Why are you so mad? Like, I'm not mad. I'm just saying what I'm feeling. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's weird that that's a novelty. Yeah, especially over here in L.A. I go out to L.A. every now and again. Just, I mean, you can't work in the music business and not spend any time there. And for me, I feel like an alien on a foreign planet there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, especially, um, like, if you're not used to it. I remember at the beginning, I felt like a total fish out of water. I was wearing uh, short shorts and 60-degree weather, and everyone thought I was crazy. And to me, I'm like, this is awesome. This is summer. What are you guys talking about? I want to ask you this because I'm not sure what your COVID lockdown was like, but I'll tell you what mine was like. I've had purple hair for a really, really, really long time. And I had to diet myself because I couldn't go to the hairdresser. And it looked like I slaughtered a Muppet in my bathroom. Did you have to do that too? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But, um... I felt like I've had training because whenever I go out on tour, I kind of have to do it myself anyway. So I've gotten pretty good at getting the blue on and not making a total mess. Like when I'm talking, I've dyed my hair in venue uh, sinks. I've done it in the craziest of places. So in this whole lockdown, I was just doing it myself so much that I just, it became second nature at some point. It's one of those things, too, where, you know, and I know the guys are like, what are you talking about? But anybody that's ever dyed their hair, okay, A, it's a process, and B, it gets everywhere. And when you have, you have a signature hair color. Like, my hair is always purple. It's always been purple. It will always be purple. Yours is a very specific shade of blue. So it's kind of hard to deny when, when there's blue streaks on everything that it wasn't you. 
<laughs> or when a blue like hair strands get in places and it's blue and I'm like, oops, yeah, that, that was me. Sorry, guys. You can't deny it because it's and, and they're, they're so long. Like the guy, it's got to drive the guys in the band crazy because your hair probably shows up in really inappropriate places because you guys tour together. It does. It my hair gets everywhere, especially because it's so bleached and it, it just falls out all the time. So I feel like I'm leaving trails everywhere I go. Like, yep, Diamante was here. She was definitely here. You go into a hotel room and you try to, you know, deny it to housekeeping that that it was uh-huh. you that stained the pillowcase. I just use black pillowcases now because I just don't even want to deal. That's smart because I always get charged for the pillowcases, for the towels. It's just it's impossible not to get it colored because everything's white. It's all white. Yeah. Black sheets, black pillowcases, black towels. It's the only way to go. <laughs> start doing that. Um, I was shocked to find out that Diamante was your real name. I don't know why I thought that would be a stage name. I had just never heard it before. Yeah. A lot of people, they're always asking me, man, how'd you come up with your band name? That's such a cool band name. And I always tell them, no, the truth is my parents came up with it. And when I was younger, I was actually very insecure about my name. I thought it was too weird. No one knew how to pronounce it ever. I always went just by Dia because it was easier. And so now it's on the flip side and people are like, no, that's not your real name. Let me see your ID. Show me proof that that's your real name. So uh, I don't know. I think my parents just knew somehow that I was going to go into music. They had some kind of like foresight. I don't know. It's hard to name a band Lisa or Cheryl. <laughs> so it's like you, you kind of got this amazing gift, even though when you're a kid, it kind of seems like a curse because kids are assholes and they'll tease you about stuff for anything that makes you different. Absolutely. It was always diamante. It was always supposed to be something like purposely messed up, you know? So um, when I was younger, I was like, man, why couldn't I just have had a normal name? But now I love my name, like 100%. When you moved out of Boston when you were 12, where did you go? Uh, so it was my entire family that moved from Boston straight to L.A. And I did middle school and high school in L.A. And it was a huge culture shock going from Boston because they're completely two different worlds, even when you're a kid. And I'm sure they can you say Park the Khan Harvard Yard because they make fun of the oh, accent, too. That. Yeah. Or they say, oh, you're a mass hole. Yeah. Because you know, we're being assholes. Yeah. Which is why, like, people in Massachusetts call themselves mass holes now. Yeah, because we know you're going to call us that. So we're just going to accept it the same way that I, you know, took the nickname the baddest bitch in Boston as a as a moniker I was proud of because I was like, you know what, you're going to call me a bitch anyway. I might as well love it. I love that. Yeah, might as well claim it. Absolutely. Um, Congratulations, by the way, because your new album just came out on the 7th. Yes, the horns are flying Um, and you worked I mean, I always want to ask musicians what it's like to work with a producer because it's that outside opinion. But asking you what it's like to work with a legend like Howard Benson is a whole other thing. It's crazy. I've known Howard now for five years. I first met him when I was 19 doing my first album. I was so scared to meet the guy the very first time I walked into the studio because he's such a legend and he's produced some of my favorite artists. So I walked in there like, man, I, I better impress. I better look like I know what I'm doing. And we did that first album together with the label. And he showed me a lot of the ropes in terms of like, what makes a good song a good song? How to how to be a good songwriter? How to really deliver in the vocal booth? Um, and even on the business side, he would always tell me like, you know, labels are going to expect this from you, and maybe this album never sees the light of day. So just do your best. Um, and then this second time around, we did American Dream together with no label, so it was definitely more collaborative. Like it was him, me, and Neil Sanderson from Three Days Grace all working together and saying to ourselves, like, well, which songs do we want on the album? Which do we not want? And I never got to have that conversation because it was always an A&R telling me that this song could make the cut or couldn't. Well, that's got to be a pretty intimidating thing to go out on your own 
Because it's all on you now that you don't have the label yeah. behind you. It's it's all on you now. Yeah, that, that's what I've been saying because there's pressures when you're with a label. You have to please everybody. You have to make sure you're always doing a good job and, and you're always looking professional and you're doing what you're being asked of. But when you're on your own, the whole different kind of pressure is, well, if this fails, it's my fault. There's nobody else to blame because it's all on me. So give me an example of like some specific guidance that Howard gave you, like say in the vote in the in the vocal booth, because you have such a strong, amazing and powerful female rock voice. So how does a guy like Howard Benson get you into the vocal booth and get the best out of you? What are some of the things that he tells you? Some of the things that he tells me in the booth as I'm recording, which are my favorite because it, he really does push me to go there, is I'll do a take and then he'll just say, I didn't believe you. I didn't believe one word you just said. I don't believe you. And so that to me is like, okay, well, that's really important. I need to do this next take with conviction and make him believe me because I need to make the listener believe what I'm saying. And he'll say stuff like angrier or more aggro or, or try this take this way or let's, let's experiment this way. No, that was horrible. Let's not do that. So there's no, um, there's no rules when you work with Howard and he's just always trying to push you to go to your limits and he'll have me do these crazy high harmonies and ad libs. I'm like, Howard, I can't hit that note. He goes, yes, you can. You can, you can hit that note. Come on, go. And then it'll happen. So he's always pushing me to boundaries that I never allowed myself to go to before. So it's awesome working with him. Is there an example of a song on American Dream or a part of a song that he got you to to change the way the song was originally going to be? Yeah, almost all of them because something else that Howard does is he'll have ideas in the moment where like for example in American Dream on the last chorus he told me, you know, because the chorus is the same thing every time, can we come up with a different lyric instead of in your new Mercedes? Can you just come up with something else and sing it? And so it was always putting me on the spot and I had to think. And that's where I came up with uh, doing bad things like it's 1980. And he goes, okay, I love it. Go do it. And it's just so in the moment and spontaneous. And um, at the end of most songs, like Ghost Myself and Serves You Right, he'll just loop the end section of the song and tell me just just do some ad libs just do some crazy ad libs whatever comes and then he'll pick and choose the ad libs that he likes and uh, i think in hopeless too you hear a lot of that at the end of the song it's just me wailing and going crazy it's a testament too to the relationship you have to have like i'm so envious of musical ability and especially singers because i don't have the talent and i have this voice that's basically made for like radio because it's all it's good for. Um, but I imagine the amount of trust you have to have to go into that booth and look like an idiot or at least feel like you look like an idiot and to know yeah. that that he's not going to make you feel that way. Yeah, I think when you work with anybody at, at the beginning, especially you're, I, at least me, I'm so in my head, like, man, I don't want to mess up. I don't want to hit a bad note. I don't, don't want to do something embarrassing. And I've hit so many horrendous notes in the booth with Howard. And, you know, you just laugh it off and you keep going. And when you get, uh, like in a working relationship, you get that comfortability and that closeness. You're not afraid to mess up anymore. It's, it's whatever. It's, it's all good. Tell me about working with Neil, too, because, I mean, if there's going to be a track record of success in rock music and on rock radio, I mean, Three Days Grace is kind of proven. So if you're going to take advice from somebody, he knows what the hell he's talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Neil, he brought this whole like early 2000s hard rock sound to the album that my first album didn't have. It was more like 80s vibe. But this time around, um, the first song he worked on with me was Obvious. And it's, the song started out as just me and an acoustic guitar in demo form. And it was his idea to make it all like hard rock, balls to the wall. And that intro riff, when you hear it, it's definitely got that Three Days Grace vibe. And you can hear that Neil 
um, had so much to do with that riff and then, and serves you right. He came up with the entire bridge of that song and a lot of the musical composition of the songs. And so he brought these songs to a whole new life that I would have thought they could get to because of that hard rock 2000s sort of three days grace sound. Do your parents or older siblings get the blame for turning you on to rock music? I'm the oldest of four, so I'm the one who's actually turning them onto rock music, which is cool. Um, my parents, they love music, and my dad, he does like classic rock, but growing up, my family didn't really listen to rock music, so I didn't necessarily grow up with it. I was more listening to pop and like the Disney Channel and, and stuff like that. And it wasn't until I did a school of rock, um, like summer camp thing when I was 13, that I first discovered rock music. And so now my dad's always watching rock documentaries with me and my mom, she's like all into, you know, uh, what new bands are coming onto the rock scene. She's always watching for that kind of stuff. And they weren't into it when I was little. So I feel like I've been influencing my whole family to start listening to rock music. You're the first person that I've ever talked to that got inspired and and really learned about rock music from that program. That's really cool. Yeah, I had like I had no idea that rock was this animal that it is. That's when I first discovered Blondie and Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath and I'm over here at 13 going like what is this music and why have I not heard it yet? And even more so than hearing the music at the end of the camp, we all get to do, like do this performance. And it was at the knitting factory in LA. And that feeling of getting to get up on a stage and sing all these rock covers, that was the feeling that I wanted to chase over and over and over again. How did you end up at School of Rock though? Like at what point did you realize you had talent? Um, or did they just send you there to get you out of the house? I, yeah, I think it was more that because I've been singing ever since I was nine and my mom and dad knew that I love singing. So I would do a lot of musical theater when I was a kid and they put me in all these productions and I'd auditioned for my school musicals. And the first one I did, I was Sandy in Greece and I was just 10 years old. So they knew I had that bug. And when we came to LA, they would just throw me in everything. They'd be like, okay, go do acting. And then if you want to do modeling, go do modeling. And um, hey, there's this rock camp or like a music camp, go do it. I don't think maybe they even knew what the music was. They just wanted me to go make friends and, and sing and play music. And so, um, yeah, it was mostly them. I had no idea what the School of Rock was when I was 13 until I went. I auditioned for the school musical and I sang Home Sweet Home and I did not get the part because what? yeah well I mean you can hear my voice it sounds like I've been gargling glass since I was eight years old so I did not get the part I ended up in the chorus in the back like yeah it just didn't work there was never a radio DJ part in the high school musical that I could have gotten that would have been perfect for me yeah. Yeah. I mean, I auditioned for my musical in high school. Same thing. They're like, you're, you're going to the ensemble. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> when you finally went out on your first tour, because I just watched Dave Grohl's What Drives Us documentary about the van experience. And it was so cool to hear how much that experience shaped a lot of really big established bands. Um, how is that experience for you just starting out? Because it wasn't that long ago. Getting in a van and, and touring with a bunch of dudes and going all over the country. For me, it was epic. I was living the dream. And uh, it's not very glamorous. You're stopping at gas stations to get your meals and you're living off of snacks and... Um, you don't get to shower every day and you're in a broken down van most of the time. And um, you're with a bunch of dudes like me. Um, but for me, just getting to be in a new city every single night and getting to play a rock show, that was the best feeling ever. And I started touring when I was 18. And ever since then, I'm like, when's the next tour? And especially this last year, I've been missing it so much. And I'm just always thinking, when's the next tour? I can't wait to go back out. I don't care if I have to do it in a box truck. Let's go. 
that's always been my mentality. I know. This is the longest I've ever gone without going to a concert. Like, it's insane to me that it's been this long. And I, I miss... I miss even the bad stuff, you know, like the drunk guy spilling his beer down your back and the smelly guy and and people elbowing you and stepping on your feet. And I miss all of it. And the sticky floors and the hour long way to go to the bathroom. Yes. Well, it depends if you're at a rush show or an Iron Maiden show. The line for the ladies room is not as long. It depends on the band. It totally depends. I could see that. When you stop at those truck stops in the middle of the night, um, before I got on the radio, I used to drive trucks. And so I I lived on the road too. And there was always the go-tos, right? That, that, you know, the things you knew you were going to find in there, the things. What was your favorite thing to buy at a truck stop? And what's the weirdest thing you ever bought at a truck stop? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I'm pretty boring. I... I usually, when I go to the truck stops, I get like protein bars, cliff bars, just because I know that they're going to hold me over until the next five hours. And I, I'm not going to feel like I'm eating air. Um, if I'm feeling pretty adventurous, I'll get like Sour Patch Kids. I love sour candy. So I'm always doing that. Or a uh, hot Cheetos and hot fries. I love the spicy, just terrible for you snacks. They're so good. Um, weirdest thing I've ever gotten not that weird, but like, I think I got a dream catcher once at one of the truck stops, which are like those little dangly things. And you pick up all these random things along the way. Um, I know that me and my guys, we stop at Cracker Barrel a lot and they always have the, the knickknacks at the front of the restaurant. And I'll always get the most random things like, uh, a magic ball or a stuffed bear, just, just random things. And then they start getting uh, piled up in the bandwagon and everyone hates me. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about, about your room because I do, because of COVID I built my own studio. So welcome to MCHQ. This is my studio now. And I love seeing how the bands have their rooms set up at home <laughs> and like what's decorated in there and, Are those guitars you play or were those gifts that are up on the wall behind you? So these are actually not my guitars. They are, they belong to my boyfriend who I happen to live with. And this is our living room. And we got a American flag in the background. And uh, this is actually his studio setup. So I went and bought like a bunch of uh, studio lights just to put here. And uh, yeah, this is where actually a lot of the album was written over here in this living room. A lot of the songs during quarantine, we were bored and I figured why not? It's the only thing I can do, so might as well do it. What else did you end up doing? Like, I was so happy that I could at least get outside. And like, you know, going back to the Italian thing, I take pride in my tomato plants. So, oh, that's awesome. So I was outside tending to my tomato plants during COVID last year. What were the non-music things that kept you going during all of this lockdown craziness? A lot of being outside, too. Um, I started because, again, it was the only thing you could do here in L.A. I started going on hikes all the time, all the places. I'd go to Pasadena. I'd go to Malibu, uh, Topanga Canyon, anywhere where I could just go outside and be with nature. I went and did it because I would get so crazy being cooped up in here all day, every day. So. I was always hiking, cardio, uh, going and exploring places with my dog. And then other things that I did was I went to college full time because, again, I could. I wasn't on tour. Might as well. I've been trying to get this degree since I was 18, 19. And so a lot of my time was preoccupied being in school, doing homework, writing papers. And my station was back over there. <laughs> That's where I would do my, my whole college. What are you studying? I studied business and I actually graduated uh, a few days ago. You're a nice. college graduate. I am. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Yeah. It was, a. Uh, It was tough, especially this last year and having to balance that with making the album. But honestly, if I didn't have these two things, I probably would have gone insane. Your parents are going to want to hang it like 
above the mantle in the house. You're probably never going to be able to keep your own degree. They're going to want it and they're going to want it on the wall. Especially my mom. You, oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, when did you get locked down? When's the last show you actually played? The last show I played was all the way back in 2019. It was the tail end of 2019. I did a headline run winter tour and I called it the blue balls holiday tour and that was the last show I played and I remember having a weird feeling in my gut like that was the last show and it was very bittersweet and I had no idea obviously that that was going to be the last show but I had a weird feeling that day and then the last show that I went to go see like concert wise was Breaking Ben and Corn back in February 2020, right before the lockdown happened here, which was around March, early March. It is weird. Like, I look back, the last show that I saw was Bush in Vegas at the end of February. And I remember a distinct point at the House of Blues that night where I was like, do I want to get another drink? Nah, I'm good or whatever. And I'm like, I've been mad at myself for 14 months that I didn't get that one more drink. That I was at a rock show and like I could have had like one more drink and I should have sang a little more. I, you know, I should have yelled a little louder because the show was great. And, you know, to think that all these months later that that was going to be the last show. It was like, what? Oh, so wild. So crazy. When you think back of the touring that you've done in your career, where are some of the places that you've gone that totally surprised you? Because it's like you've ping-ponged from one coast to the other in your personal life, and now you're crisscrossing through the middle of the country and going to all of these places that maybe you didn't even hear of them before. What crowd or what city made you go, holy fuck? It's always the cities that I have never heard of before. Um, I played a headline show in Garing, Nebraska. I didn't know... Garing was a city. I, I don't know a whole lot about Nebraska, but that show was epic. The crowd, they were all about it. Um, and it was, I was basically like on floor level with them. It was super intimate, but they packed out this little, like, I guess it was a warehouse venue and it was just so much fun. And they were partying and everyone was drunk and they're all singing the words and uh, showing up with blue hair. It was awesome. Um, any show that I play also on the East Coast is just so special to me. And I love that rock is so, like, it's thriving still on the East Coast. They love it over there. What about internationally? Like, where is your dream place to take the band and go on tour? I've always said that I would kill to play Tokyo. I want to go to Japan so bad. Um because it's just, it's so far away and it feels like an entirely different universe. And um, I think it'd be so cool. And also because I love anything having to do Japanese food. I'm obsessed with sushi. I'm obsessed with ramen. So I would go there and just pig out for a week straight or two. Do you cook that stuff or do you get it takeout at home? I get a takeout. I wish I knew how to, but like making a good ramen, you have to, you know, really boil that broth for 12 hours straight. And it's a... It's a big thing to do. So I don't have that kind of talent. Usually when I talk to bands that have been around for a really long time, we get into conversations about what they wish they had done in their younger years to take care of themselves because they're paying the price for not taking that stuff seriously later on in their careers, whether it be their bodies, their voice, whatever it is. What are you doing to take care of your voice? Or are you still in the throw it against the wall and fuck it mentality? Because your voice is so powerful. A I'm a little bit still in that mentality. Like I know objectively before and after a show, I should be warming up and then I should be cooling down and doing all these vocal exercises. But my thing has always been like, just sing a couple of songs as you're doing your makeup before the show, just to get it warmed up and go play the show. And then after the show, go scream and, and yell and have fun. And uh, that's the worst thing you can do because then your voice is gone the next day. Um, so I think I'm going to have to start learning that lesson soon. Um, the good thing though, is like, I've now gotten to the point where I can start 
feeling when it's about to go out. So that's when I'll say, sorry, guys, I got to go up vocal rest and I won't talk for two, three days. And you've had the opportunity to collaborate with some great artists too, like bad wolves, like how much, how much credit do you give to the musicians that you've been around, especially the male musicians that have, that have helped you? A lot, especially because I was always the youngest. Everyone around me was definitely older, definitely more experienced, um, especially when it came to touring. So I would always take notes or advice and um, touring with other artists. My favorite thing to do is go side stage during the show and really watch the bands. Like I would get up and watch Shinedown every single night because I was literally taking notes. Like, what does Brent do when he's on stage? How is he talking to the crowd? What's the band doing? How, how does everyone interact on stage? And I'm always learning and trying to pick up notes and trying to pick up um, different things that other artists do um, because I'm a sponge and I'm always trying to learn and get better at what I'm doing. They're some of the nicest people that I know. They're yeah. just the sweetest guys. And I remember a quote from Dave Grohl like years ago, like crediting Dimebag Daryl and Vinnie Paul with like teaching him how to be a rock star, meaning like how to enjoy it, how to be gracious to the fans, how to be supportive to other bands. And I thought it was an amazing compliment that Dave Grohl would give to those guys because they were so welcoming to everybody and, and, and so in it for the right reasons and, and that they absolutely just loved being in a rock band. Do you look at the bands that you've toured with, like you talk about the guys from Shinedown, as kind of being that kind of a role model for you? Yeah, absolutely. I've been so lucky because the bands that I've opened up for have all been gracious like that and always trying to help out um, the little guy like me, the opener, like, are you okay? Do you need anything? If you like need anything from us, let us know. Thank you so much for being a part of this with us. So Shinedown was like that. Breaking Benjamin was like that with me for the last two years, or obviously not this last year, but all 2018, 2019, they were always looking out for me. Um, Three Days Grace was like that, you know, you want some tequila? We have some tequila. Come have some tequila. Like everyone's just, um, you were, of it's course, so of age at the time. We don't want to get the guys in trouble. No, no, I definitely, definitely <laughs> of age. Definitely of age. I was 21. I know. You never had a drink before you were 21. None of us did. Absolutely not. None of us did. I wanted to ask about the, the spinal tap moments, right? There's always the thing that goes wrong horribly, horribly, horribly wrong at the most inopportune time. You got to have one. Oh my gosh. I have so many. <laughs> I mean, you have the classic, like, Oh, the, the bus broke down on the way to the show. Uh, that happened when I was out with bad wolves and we had to ride in the back of a box truck to make the show. We barely made it on time, but it was so stressful. Um, something that happens to me, which is not fun is like two seconds right before I'm about to go on stage, my in-ears cut out and they're not working. And at that point, there's not a whole lot you can do. You just got to go out there. So I've played shows where I couldn't hear a single note that was coming out of my mouth. I'm like, just praying and hoping for the best. You got to roll with the punches. <laughs> but that is not fun when you can't hear yourself or the band and you just got to do your best. Um. I always have to apologize to the people that listen to every interview that I do because I ask some of the same questions and, I, and because what I'm noticing, especially through these longer interviews that I've been able to do with the podcast and stuff, these, these trends keep coming out. Like they, they, these obvious things just keep appearing. And one of the things that I've really noticed, especially just with how crazy the, the world has been over the last couple years, is that the rock community seems to be shifting from, like, the total outcast that everyone's afraid of to a literal model of how the rest of the world should be when it comes to inclusion, representation, um, you know, just as long as you're into rock, like the community's all about you. 
Yeah. Do you feel that way too? Yeah, I wish I had experienced that in high school because I was definitely the black sheep for for uh, either wanting to pursue music, for liking rock music, for dyeing my hair weird colors. It was not cool. So when I eventually started finding my people and I would, uh, you know, meet different musicians and go on tour and, and talk to the fans, I'm like, man, where was this all along? And I love that, I think especially today with social media, it's so much more accessible and you can feel so much more part of this, this group of people. Because I th- when I was in high school, like, yeah, we had Facebook, a little bit of Instagram, but you didn't have like all these different ways to connect with these people. So it was definitely more lonely back then. And it's an interesting time too, to start a career when, you know, there's so many bands out there that wouldn't even be around if half the shit they did was documented the way that it can be documented now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And now oh. you're starting your career in this time where literally every song, like that that night that you had the in-ears go out, if you did hit a wrong note that night, it, you're never going to live it down because it's going to end up on YouTube and it's there forever. Oh, yeah. I'm sure there's like 20 videos of just horrible performances that you can't escape from it's there and uh you do have to watch out because everyone's filming at all times and everything ends up on the internet and like you said it stays there forever do you write when you're on the road i'm really bad about that i know that a a lot of bands love riding on the road and they build studios in the back of their buses and they're all about that but for me I have like two, two sides of my personality and one is creative at home writing focused Dia and one is I'm on tour Dia. And when I'm in that mode of like, I, I got to play a show tonight and the next night and the night after that, my brain can't really slow down and think about writing because I'm just so adrenalized the entire time and I'm on this high and I just got off stage and, and I want to hang out with everyone. So no, I, I can't write when I'm on the road. I'm just not in the headspace. But what is your writing process? Like, again, I'm fascinated by the creative process because I don't have it myself. Do you start with a lyric? Do you start with a riff? Do you start with a melody? Like, what what sparks the creativity for a song for you? For me, it always starts with a concept. Like, I want to sing about something. And a lot of the times it happens in the shower or the bathtub and I come up with uh, a verse and melody, maybe like for a lyric, a verse melody for a chorus or an entire, even I'll write entire songs, just acapella in the shower. And then I'll get together with co-writers who do actually play instruments and compose music. And then they'll help me out with the musical component of the song, or they'll help me tweak melodies or help me finish writing the rest of the song lyrically. But it always starts um, with music, doesn't no, sorry, not music, with melody and lyric, and always to an acoustic guitar, because I've, I've been told that um, if you can sing a song on an acoustic guitar, and it translates, and it hits you, that's when you know you have a good song, and then you can add all the other stuff on top of it, but I feel like whenever I try to write to a fully made track, it's like, here's a track, just write to it, it never translates as well. What is it about the bathroom? Like, because I, I, I can't know. write music, but I always get good ideas in the shower. Like, is it the tile? Is it the, the energy bouncing off the walls? What is it? Because you're not the first person I've talked to that said that you get song ideas and stuff, like taking a bath or in the shower. It's, it, there's got to be something to it. I have no idea. I'll have major writer's block sitting in this room. Like when I'm like, okay, I'm going to write, I'm in a session, I'm going to write and nothing's coming to me. And then, you know, you're just in the shower and all of a sudden, boom, 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 boom. You have all these ideas. I don't know where they come from. I really don't. It's so weird. Um, I started asking people this question recently and I literally have loved every answer because Music and and lyrics, and they hit people so personally. Because you're a songwriter, 
what song do you wish you wrote? And it could be any artist of any era, any band, any genre. It doesn't matter. But from a purely songwriting perspective, like what's a song where you go, oh, my God, I wish I wrote that. Like I would sell my soul to Satan to have written that song. Oh, my gosh, that's really hard. Because I have said that at least a thousand times about all different kinds of songs. Like, man, why didn't I come up with this? Um, I think probably the best chorus I've ever heard is Chandelier by Sia. And that's a melody where I'm like, why didn't I think of this? Like with hard rock guitars, that would have been so cool. Um, And then lyrically, I would say like, on any Stevie Nicks song, especially Edge of 17, has to be probably the coolest song ever written. I don't know how she came up with that because I couldn't. It's such a cool song, but I wish I did. I saw the greatest meme because I love, like growing up, I wanted to be Stevie Nicks. Like she is just, when you talk about like women in rock, there's a Mount Rushmore and her beautiful face is carved in that granite. I saw the greatest meme one time that said something like, you think you think your life is harder? You think something's impossible? Fleetwood Mac all dated and divorced each other and still wrote rumors together. Like, <laughs> I know I'm butchering the meme, but it was like so perfect because a music fan knows exactly what an impossible task that would have been because the band literally put themselves through hell and got that record out of it. I cannot imagine. Oh my gosh. Even working with an ex-boyfriend is hard. So an ex-husband, ex-wife, and they came out with an album like that. And and that you dated multiple members in the band and like swapped and divorced and I like it blows my mind. Yeah, that's why I stay away from that. <laughs> Anyone, like, if I have a guitar player, drummer, whatever, come out on tour with me, I'm like, nope, 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 not happening. Talking about about women in rock, I mean, you talked about, like, finding Blondie, you know, and being inspired by Stevie Nicks. There's this amazing movement in rock right now, yourself included, where there's just some badass amazing rock music coming out from women. And I've been in rock radio long enough to remember if there was a song on the radio that had a chick singer, the debate would be that they couldn't add another song with a chick singer because they already had one. And like, I was always the only woman DJ on the radio station because, well, once you have one, you didn't need another one. Right. You filled the quota. Yeah. And it, and, and there's so many girls that and women that love rock music. What is that sisterhood like as a as a rock band, the leader of a female-fronted rock band, to have these other female-fronted rock bands out there and to have that camaraderie? It's so healing in a way because we are connected through the fact that we have all individually faced our own adversities trying to do rock music because we you know we've all have our own stories of difficult moments um when in reality like we're just out here making rock music and that's it regardless of of what our genitalia is that's all it is but we have um this awesome sisterhood for sure and like i'll reach out to them and they'll reach out to me like you know uh that song you did was awesome or I can't wait for your new album to come out or uh, uh, playing shows together because um, we've all had those hard moments. So it's awesome having them. And me, especially like I grew up listening to Hailstorm, Lizzie Hale when I was in high school and the pretty reckless and just having, getting to talk to Lizzie recently and and her saying like, man, you're so badass for what you're doing. Like keep going. That's huge for me because like I said, I, I grew up listening to to her and other women in rock. And so I can only hope that one day that chain keeps happening and girls who are wanting to do rock look up to me and said, wow, she did it. That means I can do it too. Well, I just think, especially, you know, with the internet too, 
you know, you look at a little girl like Nandy Bushel that gets into a drum off with Dave Grohl on YouTube from England. And like there's there's just it's like all of a sudden, you know, those examples, the Joan Jets, the hearts like women have been proving all along that they rocked. Right. Yeah. But now all of a sudden. It's not an accident. They're not these exceptions to the rule. It's like now people are recognizing this talent in little girls and going, no, put her behind a drum kit and watch what she can do. And so you do see that next generation of rock coming up where it's like, oh, my God, can you imagine if somebody like had encouraged Joan Jett when she was seven or what? You know what I mean? I mean, but on the flip side, that's why I admire her so much, because she had zero encouragement. <laughs> I mean, she was doing it in a time where it was not cool for, for chicks to play rock music. And, so. and playing like and taking no shit. Like she was the first rock star that I met when I was interning at my first radio station. And here I am like this college kid fetching the mail and coffee. And I turn around and I still have the autograph she signed for me. Like, it's framed. Because I was like, that's fucking Joan Jett. Holy shit. Like, I would die. I would, I would literally fall to the ground or do something stupid. Yeah, the she, Wayne's World, I'm not worthy thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, her, her face is in the granite Mount Rushmore, too. Yeah, definitely. For sure. Um, let's get to important stuff. Tell me about the dog. Nico, <laughs> Nico, um, he's such a special dog. He came out of nowhere, really. Um, my family found him on the streets of Mexico five years ago, and he was just hanging out on the pavement day after day and uh, getting hit by cars almost every two seconds. And so finally, my grandma had the idea to just take him in. And the idea was like, you know, we'll hold him and then maybe the original owners will, will come looking for him and, and they'll find him and we can reunite them. But no one ever came looking. So he became our dog and we got him his uh, doggy papers and we flew him to L.A. And so from the streets of Mexico to, you know, Los Angeles, he's living the best life now. And uh, back in January, he got out again, went running through the streets of Burbank and some couple picked him up. But this time they claimed that the dog was theirs. So our dog practically got stolen for a good nine days. And it was awful. It was the worst, one of the worst things I've ever gone through. And through some miracle, they, they called nine days later and they're like, we have your dog. We don't want to tell you who we are or how we got him. We just want to give him back to you. And so we got him back. And he's just this crazy dog that gets into all these crazy situations. I would have cut a bitch in the face. If she took I my dog. I thought about it, but I was like, first priority, get the dog out of her arms. So, oh God. That was and then tough. get the dog microchipped so nobody can ever try to steal the dog ever again. That's what we did the next day. No joke. I, uh, I credit my dog with keeping me sane through a lot of the lockdown. And she has her own Instagram now because I've become that person that has a dog with an Instagram. Nico has an Instagram too. Oh, Wednesday has to friend Nico. My dog's name is Wednesday. Wednesday? What kind of dog is she? She's a little black pug. Oh my gosh. Pugs. That's so cute. Yeah. So Wednesday is gonna friend your dog and on on Instagram and they can be little Instagram dog friends. Like I I've become that person. Like I, I'm obsessed with dogs and especially my own dog. If you're a dog mom or dog dad, dog parent, whatever, you get it. They're like, they're our babies, they're kids. I don't trust people that don't like dogs. They're, there's something wrong with you and your soul if you don't like them. That's what I say. I'm like, they're the most pure animals you could possibly have. And they're just unconditional love, 24 seven. Yeah, they just wanna sit on your lap and eat snacks with you. Like, how could you hate that? <laughs> I mean, there's the occasional leg humping and whatever, but you just look past that. Yeah, you're just like, no, get get off. Yeah, you My just dog, he sat with me a lot through quarantine, through album making processes, through a lot of my college. So I had him at my graduation the other day. I was like, 
Wait, did you, you have a commencement? Did you do the whole cap and gown thing and everything? I had to do a virtual commencement. So uh, just graduated over Zoom pretty much where they just had our pictures on a screen. But I did drag my entire family to Redlands, which is where the school is. It's like an hour and a half away. And I made them take photos and we brought Nico and we did the whole thing with the cap and gown just to feel like, you know, I did it. It happened. It's done. Yeah, I feel like I, I feel bad for the people that missed out on those those moments, you know, the proms, the graduations. It's like you the those moments, those milestones mean something. And it's like graduating on the Internet and like you don't even have to wear pants to graduate from college. It's like you want to at least have to put pants on. You got to commemorate the effort that you put in, because like you were saying earlier, it, it takes a lot of effort and it took you a long time to get it finished. Oh, yeah. It took me six years just because I was uh, touring. So I was doing school off and on and off and on and off and on. I feel bad for my younger brother. He uh, this last year, he didn't get a high school graduation. He didn't get the prom. He didn't get any of it. it sucked. Yeah, that's that's what I mean. It's like. You know, at least now people are starting to be able to do quote unquote normal things again. And yeah. it's slowly starting to feel like the world is going to be okay. It's never going to go back to what it was, but it's going to be okay. Yeah, that's what I've been feeling too. And that's the sort of vibe I'm getting here in LA. Well, everybody that told me when I finally met you and told me that I would love you was totally right. You are just so cool and it was so nice to meet you and I'm so grateful for, you know, the generosity of your time and congratulations on your new album, American Dream. Thank you. And thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. And I can't wait until we can actually meet in person and we can take a picture together with our crazy hair together because we'll look like Skittles next to each other. <laughs> in Boston? Are you still in Boston? I, You know what? I, if that's where you're going to be, I will be there. Absolutely. It, it doesn't matter where you are. The Boston's always in you. Always. There she is, Diamante. I told you you were going to love her. Her new album is called American Dream and it is available everywhere. If you want to find Diamante online, all of the links to her website and socials are linked in the show notes of this podcast, as is the custom playlist for episode 49, which is filled with her music and all of the other artists and songs that we talked about in this episode. You can also find all of my links there as well. If you liked what you heard, click subscribe so you don't miss anything from the Mistress Carrie podcast. New full-length episodes every Wednesday... Plus, you get the sit rep every Monday through Friday. In less than five minutes, I give you all of the rock news and music headlines. And if you don't mind, give us a five-star review and leave a comment so I know what you thought of episode 49. Thanks again to our sponsors, Digital Federal Credit Union at dcu.org careers, because they're hiring, and mistresscarry.com. Don't forget to join me live every Tuesday night at 8.30 Eastern on my Facebook page for Cocktails in the War Room. The Mistress Carrie Podcast, a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. The Venture X card from Capital One gives you premium travel benefits. Perfect for seeing Taylor Swift The Eras Tour. Presented by Capital One. Oh, I do love her. Earn five times miles on flights and 10 times miles on hotels through Capital One Travel. Enjoy your stay in Suite 13. Whoa, 13? That's Taylor's lucky number. The Venture X card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. By now, you know that sound. It's the sound of the Home Depot. But what about those sounds? Those are the sounds of an LG wash tower with ultra-large capacity, serving up a powerful yet gentle clean in just 29 minutes. Making this the sound of savings on the best appliance brands. The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Get up to 25% off the LG wash tower with ultra-large capacity and reduced wash time. Pricing valid January 5th through January 25th, 2023. Gas dryer extra. U.S. only. See store or online for details. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.